You're listening to Spirited Spirits, a spooky-centric podcast where we enjoy a spirit while we talk about spirits. I'm Steph. And I'm Drew. Thanks for joining us. Apologies for the, the delay in yeah. getting the second part of the Skinwalker Ranch out to you. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot going on lately that has made it difficult to find time to record. Yes, but we are here now with part two of Skinwalker Ranch, and I am so excited to dive into the scientific research and events that took place while the NIDS team were, were investigating. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, I highly suggest you go back and listen to that episode to get you caught up on where we are now in the story. Yeah, so uh, before we get started, we want to let you know that we're drinking a red wine tonight. It's called Mina Mesa. Mina Mesa. Cabernet Cabernet Sauvignon. Sauvignon. (laughs) And I was really drawn to the wine because of the label. Um, It's very Southwestern. I love it. But the wine is actually I well I'm a Cabernet girl like I love Cabernet. I She's love cabs I love cabs, um, but it's really nice it's dry but it's really fruit forward it's very drinkable so we've posted a photo on our Instagram at spirited underscore spirits underscore podcast if you want to check that out and see what the label looks like it's really cool yeah this one's a good one I don't think it's that like you know it's it's dry but it's not too dry it's just fruit forward it's fruit forward it's fruit forward I, it's like I, cherry in your mouth cherry oh, okay. juice in your mouth okay <laughs> it's, it's 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 wine <laughs> so um okay so let's get started um so in part one you may recall that the gormans whose real last name is the shermans actually but in the book of course they changed the name they had had enough of the strange occurrences that were happening on their property and so they decided to sell the ranch after less than two years living there i think it was like 18 months actually they were there and these strange occurrences included large wolves that couldn't be killed ufos that were hovering over their property fences missing objects and other weird poltergeist activity within the home they were living in the potential portals that were opening up in the sky above the homestead orbs of light and cattle mutilations so they ended up going public with their story and after they went public a wealthy businessman who we now know as bob bigelow Mm -hmm. purchased the property so that his organization the nids or national institute for discovery science could investigate the phenomena their goal was to pursue ufo truth so that's where we're at. So after selling Skinwalker Ranch, the Gormans bought a small ranch just 25 miles away. They actually were financially devastated because of everything that happened. They had lost 20% of their herd, either from going missing or being mutilated while they were there on Skinwalker Ranch. So because Tom Gorman was familiar with the ranch and was used to taking care of it and familiar with the land, the NIDS team asked Tom if he would be willing to work for them as the ranch manager. And he agreed. I think because he probably needed some quick money. Like right. after well, losing losing his cattle, being my, a cattle rancher and then lose twenty percent of your your profits. So That's, so they were financially devastated after the loss, even though after even after selling it? Uh yeah, because I don't think they I don't think they sold it for much of a profit. Oh. Yeah, and then they had, lo- and they were cattle ranchers. That they, when right. you lose twenty percent of your herd, right? I would just yeah. think that it, it was not financially a good situation for them. That's all I know. They okay. were not in a good situation. So he agreed to be the ranch manager, and um, they actually offered to buy a few dozen cattle from him to use as biosensors and bait for what, the phenomena. What is biosensors? <laughs> okay, so okay, so think of it this way: the cattle alert the scientists to strange phenomena so they might start getting antsy and riled up Um, they also use dogs on the property as biosensors so they would bark and act frantically if there was like strange activity and we'll go into that because there's a situation in particular i've never heard of a dog or cattle being called a biosensor yeah before well, they use them well our dog is now going to be a biosensor, he's a biosensor. Everybody, everybody well i mean hell walks if, by the door if someone walks by the door he freaks out right yeah, that's fine if uh, a squirrel he sees a squirrel on our property he right. goes darting so after it he's not being you know annoying he's being a biosensor he's being a biosensor so um so they wanted to see the whole point here is they wanted to see if they could witness the same occurrences that the gormans had experienced they're scientists right so 
they're trying to look at um, replicating this activity. Like they're trying to investigate repeatable activity and collect data so they can then determine what is causing it. They're hoping to experience these anomalous events for themselves and validate what's happening on the ranch. Right. Okay. So I should note in September of 1996, the NIDS team consisted of a physicist, a veterinarian, both of which are not named, and Dr. Colm Kelleher, who wrote the book Hunt for the Skinwalker, which is where I'm getting the bulk of my research here, with um, investigative journalist George Knapp. Dr. Kelleher was the chief field research scientist for NIDS. So Tom takes the scientists on a tour of the ranch. It's like one of the first things they do when they get there. Okay. Um, it's the first tour that they're going on, and they find the carcasses of two of their neighbor's cows, which had gone missing previously the past few days. So the cows' bodies were underneath this barbed wire fence that separated the two properties, and there were signs of a struggle. And it appeared the cows had been dead for about 48 hours, based on, like... They usually go by flies. They go by the flies. Like, right. yes, yeah. yes. So and they go they... into detail. I'm not going to do that here because right. I'm not. But, the, yes, so based on that, they determined it was about 48 hours. One thing that I remember, just kind of quick tangent about forensic psychology when I was in college, was we uh, went and we talked to crime scene investigators. Mm. And they would talk about how they would determine how long a person was dead by not only maggots. Or the stage of not, the... not only maggots, but like how long the fly was so like oh, they have yeah. to measure how long the fly was and that would determine like to the hour how yeah how long that body had been there which i always thought was fascinating well, and i was like if i didn't become like you know a therapist i should have become like a forensic psychologist <laughs> well they use those same methods here in this right. situation so um tom also showed the team too deep circular holes in the ground where soil had been removed now these holes were about one foot deep and it's several feet in diameter and tom had said that he had seen these holes that several holes had had kind of popped up and it's usually after witnessing strange lights in the sky were the whole so were the holes were the were the, the same for like each one was like exactly identical to the next one i believe so correct i believe so. because i'm that's what i'm like it's like something like an instrument is coming down and like sucking taking a soil. soil sample yes okay okay so um the first thing the team needed to do is determine how they plan to carry out their research so one group of scientists wanted full instrumentation with automated sensors that could supply a constant stream of data however another group which included tom believe the less equipment the better. Tom explained that it was incredibly tricky to document activity on the on the ranch. He had tried several methods and was unable to really capture the phenomena on video. Mm -hmm. um, he gotten a few things, but not much. And he wondered if the phenomena or entity, whatever it was that was causing this activity, was omnipotent. Omnipotent? <laughs> Omnipotent. Oh, yeah, okay. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> they it just he wondered if it knew that he was there uh, and was just kind of messing with him. Like it revealed itself when it wanted to and then it didn't when so, so if it knew he was recording, it would be like ah ah, ah you can't catch me. Right. So we're gonna put a pen in what I'm thinking. Like I'm Okay, I, yeah. I, Hold I, on to that. I, I want I just wanna like say it out loud so we can come back to it. Okay. But this is starting to kind of remind me a little bit of Nope. Mm, mm -hmm. A little bit. Mm -hmm. So so I wanna put We a just pen. recently watched yeah, Nope. I, I wanna put a pin in that and come back to that. Yes, later. yes, yes. Okay. The first so okay. So ultimately the team decided to set up an observation trailer on the property. And their goal was to, quote, gather data in the electromagnetic and magnetic regions, as well as a visible UV spectrum of any UFO lights. So they assembled a light gathering device with a Fresnel lens, which focuses light into an optic fiber and feeds directly into a portable handheld spectrometer. The spectrometer was linked to a laptop and able to provide real-time spectra data in UV invisible ranges. This data is then stored on the laptop and can be analyzed at a later time by the NIDS 15-member science advisory board. So you have your people on the ground who are doing your investigating, collecting data, and then you have this advisory board 
that can actually review the information that's being collected. Okay. Team members also had night vision binoculars, video cameras, radio frequency analyzers, and other detection equipment. They also hired a few extra investigators to help out so they could have two teams researching each night in like two different locations, essentially. And they used walkie-talkies to communicate between the teams. So it sounds like this is a lot more organized than what they were doing. Yes. Well, the Gormans weren't trying to really, I mean, they were a family living on a ranch and experiencing weird stuff. This is an actual scientific team with, I mean, these are all, this, like they said, it's a physicist, you know, a scientist, a doctor, PhD person, a veterinarian. These are people who clearly have higher level education education who are, who are monitoring what's going on. So, um, they're doing this very scientifically. On September 16th, 1996, the team spotted a bright light hovering over the cottonwood trees at the west end of the ranch. Now, at first they thought it could have been a flare, but the movement of the light was unlike any flare, aircraft, or star they'd ever seen. They managed to get a few photos, but it just looked like a small distant light in the pictures. So So they're trying to document it, and they're not able to really get a good shot of it. It's a UFO, so... So during October and November of that year, the team conducted interviews with residents and continued to have nightly watches. Some of the residents were willing to speak about their experiences. One neighbor told them about finding his cow in a field with two of its legs broken. He ran inside to grab a blanket for the animal. He was thinking because the legs were broken, he was going to have to put it down, but he was like trying to take care of it. And so he runs to go get a blanket. And when he returns to the spot where the cow was supposed to be it was missing uh, okay <laughs> an hour later the cow was back in the field again but it was 50 yards away from where it had been previously and now all four of its legs were broken what the fuck so it was as if something had picked it up dropped it picked it up again and then dropped it again so it's like the first time it picked it up it broke its two legs but it dropped it right and then picked it, it up, up again, again and, and then dropped again. the other two legs and broke them like, dropped the cow and broke its other two legs. Oh, that's fucked up. So, on November 13th, the team witnessed a bright yellow light speeding across the sky. Allegedly, it was as fast as a jet, but made no sound. Again, photos were taken, but they only managed to capture a dim, blurry light. Okay. So, I'm... These are scientists. Mm-hmm. And I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt because it's like a UFO situation. You know, we're not... You're really trained to picture UFOs, but you have all this equipment. You think after the first one, you would kind of maybe say, okay, let's try something different to catch it next time. Like, and, and like kind of evolve gonna, in I, your... I'm going to get to more. Let's just hold, put a pin in that. Put another pin. All okay. Right. Put another pin <laughs> in that. So in January, Tom called the team to report that three calves had been injured. One had its ear cut up. The other two had small round holes in their eyelids. Now, veterinarians examined the animals. One said the injuries were strange and not likely caused by a predator as these attacks occurred during a snowstorm. What? (laughs) When temperatures were 30 degrees below. So, the other veterinarian seemed to believe it was possible that a coyote or cat could have attacked these calves, even in those low temperatures. And then in March, Tom phoned to say that one of his prized black Angus calves had been dismembered in broad daylight, and no one had seen it occur. Now, I'm going to read an excerpt from the book. And actually, the section I'm reading isn't too horrific. Like, it goes on. But, um... So if you want to learn, if you if you're into that stuff, you could if you're into that stuff. If you could, you could read more about it. Um, but I'm going to read a section of it here um, that kind of talks about it. And if you don't want to hear it, just skip ahead 15 seconds or so in this podcast. Okay, so uh, chapter 15. So it says, just five hours after Tom's frantic phone call, we were standing over the animal. The late afternoon breeze blew gently, but an early spring sun was still warm on my face. We were looking at a scene of horror. I felt a churning in my stomach as I looked at the creature. 
This was something truly bizarre. My immediate impression was that an enormous force had ripped the animal apart. One of the leg bones was lying 10 feet away, having been yanked free of the knee joint. Even with a young calf, the brute force necessary to rip a femur off of a knee joint and snap a tendon suggested something very powerful. Okay, so... Hold on real quick. That's... He also said there was no smell, which I think is interesting because it's decaying There's no animal. Smell. There's no smell. Like, what about blood? There, that's, and here's what he says. This is the most chilling part of the scene. The complete lack of blood. It was as if a giant vacuum cleaner had gone through in and around the calf's carcass and sucked up every drop of its blood. We looked for even a speck of blood on the grass or on the animal's hide. Nothing. Not a drop. We looked at, we looked at each other in stunned silence. Okay, so this thing was dismembered. Its leg was like some yards away. It was like, well, it was like pulled, pulled off. Pulled off. And there was no blood? They said it was like a lying like a limp rag doll. Okay, but there was no blood. No blood. Like just completely like sucked out of blood. Yeah. Okay. So then I wondered, like, okay, was it killed somewhere else and then brought back? But right. here's the thing. Again, it was done in broad daylight, and no one saw it happen. Tom said no more than 40 minutes had passed before they found it. So they, like, had seen it, and then 40 minutes later, they came back and they found it dead. Also, it appeared... So the... hold on. So, so, so it was 40 minutes between them seeing it alive... Yes. ...and then seeing its carcass. Yes. Yeah. Could, mm-hmm. they, could they have had lost time? Like, could they have... I suppose so. It doesn't. I mean, this is a hotbed of activity. It's Skinwalker <laughs> Ranch. I don't. I mean, it's. It just says no more than forty minutes have passed in daylight during which someone or something had entered the field, ripped the young right. calf away from its mother. So yeah, I don't know. But also, it appeared the ear had been cut off with a scalpel or some type of sharp knife to remove the yellow tag that had been attached. Yeah. So. I have a lot. Of, I have a lot of thoughts. Okay. And I don't think. I don't. <sighs> Okay, we'll just chew on that for a bit. Oh, <laughs> chew on that. Right. Okay, so as I said, the cattle and the dogs are used as biosensors, and they often acted spooked by something lurking on the ranch. So dogs would bark and howl right before something would happen. And one night, the dogs were barking hysterically, and the team soon saw two large yellow orbs near a tree. And they realized that these yellow reflective lights are actually the eyes of of a huge animal that's perched in a tree. Okay, it's a predator. It's a predator. <laughs> well, like that's what this is. <laughs> hold on. So suspecting it was a predator. That oh, had, see, but I think they mean like a predator, not like a a predator. predator. No, okay, <laughs> um, that had mutilated the calves. Tom grabbed his rifle. He had had enough. He was like, "I'm getting ready to shoot this damn thing." So he goes after it and he shoots it. And the eyes seemed to disappear, so Tom thought he had killed it. And so they search. They can't find anything, but then Tom says, oh, I think I saw it. I see it over there. So he shoots his rifle again in the direction of the beast. But again, it, he, 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 the way he described it is like it jumped off to the side. And so they're like searching. They're trying to find where's the body, where's any evidence. They search for tracks, for blood to indicate where the creature may have gone if he hit it. Mm-hmm. And I've got to read this to you. Okay. Okay. So we began quartering the area, looking at the snow for tracks. This is from page 114. Something that big should have left an obvious trail in the snow, and there should have been blood. It was then that I saw it, a single obvious oval track about six inches in diameter embedded deeply in the patch of snow. I yelled at the other two who came running. I shone the flashlight, and there it was. It looked unusual, a single large print in the snow with two sharp claws protruding from the rear of the mark going a couple of inches deeper. It almost looked like a bird of prey, maybe a raptor print, but huge, and from the depth of the print from a very heavy creature. I don't know what this is. <laughs> <laughs> there's just way too there's just way too much. Like there is a lot. I mean, we haven't even there's so much in the book that I'm not even going to have time to go over all of, so people are going to have to really read it. But I'm, I'm just trying to, like, really touch on some of the, like, highlights. The main, the main stuff. Yeah, the main, the main points in the book. So, so far, the team has witnessed strange lights, 
mm-hmm. cat of mutilations, weird creatures lurking in the in the dark on the ranch. But then there's the incident with the bulls. The, the bulls. The okay. bulls. Okay. So, and this is this occurs in April. So it's my understanding the bulls were out. Um, the, there was like a bull enclosure. Okay, and there was four burly bulls in the corral. Ellen and Tom, who again are like Gormans, but they're—that's not their real names. Right. Um, they had gone out and they came back. Forty-five minutes later, they drove back, and the animals seemed to be accounted for. Yet they could not shake this nagging feeling that they were having about there was something weird going on. Okay. Then they they go up to the corral. I think that they had, let's see, they stopped the truck by the end. Okay, they realized the corral is now empty. And they're like, where the hell have the bulls gone? Because they're, they're, they were just in the corral like 45 minutes ago. They end up finding them. There was this tiny trailer and there was a locked door bolted with a piece of barbed wire from through the bolt. And when they opened it up, they found the bulls inside the trailer. But the bulls were like stunned there was so there was like poop everywhere there was bull dung everywhere in the trailer the stench was horrible but the bulls were acting strange like they were stunned like they were like mesmerized or something and they just could not comprehend how this could have happened because to get four huge animals bulls into this tiny trailer in 45 minutes they just there's no way they hadn't done it so who had and why so it was really strange occurrence they could not account for. And so Tom ended up letting the team know that this had happened. So you'll what you'll come to understand here is the team isn't always staying here on the property constantly. There's times where they'll go back to their like main like um, hotel or something. They'll yeah, like um so the so you know Bob Bigelow is from Vegas. He's a Las Vegas businessman. And so I think a lot of the people live like the team lives in Vegas in Vegas or surrounding area and so they're flying in to the property to the ranch and investigating and then they would fly out so Tom was really the main person there kind of monitoring the property that's why they wanted him to be the ranch manager so so just to be clear uh-huh they bought this ranch from Tom yes but they're asked not, him to stay on board. But they're not even really living there or, or like close by. They're in Vegas. They own the ranch. And then they said, you can still stay on the ranch Yeah. Well, as we're investigating. Mm-hmm. Well, Is that kind of shitty? <laughs> well, I it's think, kind of shitty. Right? Well, I mean, they were there a lot of nights. They were there a lot of nights doing their investigation. But they had to go home and see their family. It's not like their family lived in... Right. So like that that city. So they had to go home occasionally. Can you imagine? Like heaven. Okay. So anyway, so I'm gonna now refer to my notes here. Um, so a lot of this information, um, again, I I pulled from Hunt for the Skinwalker, which was written by Colm A. Kelleher and George Knapp. Um, but I also watched the Hunt for the Skinwalker documentary which was great. Um, I wanted to show you, babe. I wanted you to see it, but we didn't, we haven't had a chance to watch it together. Too damn busy. I know, but the guy who's the documentarian, like, um, oh gosh, I'm trying, Jeremy Corbell, um, Corbell, he's the filmmaker. He kind of looks like you. Oh. He's got a similar haircut now and like a beard. And he, he, I don't know, he reminds me of you a lot. Okay. (laughs) But he, um, the main person who he talks to um, is George Knapp, who's the investigative journalist who helped write this book. Now, it's important to note that George Knapp did not actually have any experiences on the property. He had no anomalous activity experiences on the property. That's interesting. Um, in fact, <laughs> well, because he's he's working with Comb Kelleher and reporting on what they experienced, the team. 
But George, they actually tried to put him up as bait because anytime a new person comes onto the property, that's when activity really ramps up. So they're thinking, oh, let's get him on the property. Let's see what happens. So they would put him out. There was an area where the predator-like creature that we talked about in the first episode that the Gormans had encountered, um, the guy who came to meditate on the property. You remember that? Mm -hmm. Okay, so they put him in that area thinking maybe that will bring the predator creature back. Nothing happened. He said the only thing that he encountered was mosquitoes. <laughs> I'm still convinced that whatever this is is a predator-like thing. It's uh, well, I, to me, it's a, some type of trickster entity, trickster element. It's a there's something here that's causing all this paranormal activity. Right. And Colm Kelleher, like I said, he's the lead NIDS investigator who was interviewed in whose book, you know, that's heavily influenced um, the Hunt for the Skinwalker documentary. He said that it seems to have changed in nature, that the the entity, the phenomena, whatever it is, changed over time. And it never reproduces, like you might see lights, you might see similar activity, but it's not um, repeatable. Like it's hard to, to capture it and be able to... Right, so as a scientist, you're not going to be able to, you know do a lot of scientific theory because you mm -hmm. can't repeat everything because it's so random. It's elusive in nature, is right. what they said. So it's hard to actually document activity. One of the things they did also is they surveyed the property for geomagnetic anomalies. They also looked for hallucinogenic plants, thinking maybe that could have like caused some type of hallucinations. George Knapp, again, the investigative reporter, said Bigelow and his team had no idea what they were getting into when Bob bought the ranch. He said there was PhD-level people who were having these experiences on the property, and they could not properly docu document it because it was so elusive. Oh, there is one person. They interviewed a woman in the documentary. There was a woman named Shelby, and she was talking about Dark Canyon. This is the location there around that same area. And she did have missing time experience mm. after she saw two bright spotlights outside, brighter than the sun. She described these lights as brighter than the sun. So there's your missing time you were talking about. Right. So yeah, so I mean, just there was a lot of encounters of like glowing orbs, orange lights, portals that would open up, hovering lights. They also wondered, again, we, we were talking about how Tom said that this thing was like omnipotent. Mm -hmm. Is that the right Am I saying it right? I think I am. I think you are. Omnipotent. Okay. Also precognitive. They wondered if it was sentient. Okay. Right? Like, Not like, nope. Yes. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, guys. Hopefully. Spoiler alert for nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we're not giving too much away. But there's definitely this trickster element that it knew that they were there. It was messing with them. It wasn't. It would reveal some but not a lot. Not enough to really capture much on camera. There was also, okay, so I talked about the bulls. There was also a strong magnetic field. I've got this noted, page 120. Okay, so after the bulls went missing, they noted that it says, right away we realized that the metal bars of the enclosure, especially in the region near the trailer, were highly magnetized. The needle of the magnetic field detector went off the scale when we applied the instruments to the bars of the corral nearest the trailer, but the magnetic field was absent on the other side of the enclosure. Something had apparently magnetized the bars of the corral nearest to where the four animals had been found. We repeated the measurements every few minutes. So that's something else to note. So there's like this like I wanna physical... I, I want to see data on this because my my thing is with this phenom with these phenomena mm -hmm. like there's there's just so much going on mm -hmm. and it's like this huge it, it's not like one specific thing it's not saying like oh we see a UFO here there's like there's a plethora th there's a huge amount of stuff paranormal going on. activity so mm -hmm. either it's legit or it's we got in over our head by like telling a story and now we are literally just trying to grasp at straws to make this relevant why and but why would what would be the purpose of that i mean money like trying to make this skinwalker ranch a place for people to come and you know so it's okay okay it's it is interesting you say that because like, let me say okay 
We'll go ahead. Finish. What because because I, because I think like okay, so with with paranormal activity and with like UFO UFOs and like you know you you usually have you know one specific event or like uh, an abduction or something, like that. or you'll have a bunch of people see one one UFO going across the sky, sky, like you know um, the Phoenix Lights. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have something like that where numerous people saw the one thing. This is like a family, and you have the scientists from Vegas, mm-hmm. and they go out to this place, and there's just like it, it, it's like a Sim City version of paranormal activity. It's like you have earthquakes, you have fires, you have kaiju coming out of the thing. I mean, you have like it's just you have everything there, and so. It's a little hard to, it's hard to like keep track of everything and then also believe that so much is happening in one place. I hear you. I do. Um, and I don't know how to explain it. I don't have an answer for you. Like if it's a hell mouth, it's a hell mouth. We'll send in Buffy. We'll go from there. Okay. So. Let's do that. No, but seriously. So I'm not going to go too much more. If you want to learn more about um, the NIDS team and their investigation, highly recommend Hunt for the Skinwalker by Colm A. Kelleher, PhD, and George Knapp, and the documentary that's on Hulu, The Hunt for Skinwalker. There's also a show. So it's it's funny you were talking about, like, well, why would they do this? Is there a profit here? Um, one of the things that I wanted to, in the, in the documentary, okay. Not um, the show, the documentary. The show, no, the, sorry, the documentary that, that it came out in, let's see, what was it? 2018. And that's the one by Jeremy Corbell, filmmaker, Jeremy Corbell. In 2018, they did not yet reveal who was the new owner. So Bob Bigelow sold the ranch for $4.5 million in 2016. Terry and Gwen Sherman, who are who are the Gormans, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How much did they bet? I think they sold it for like two hundred thousand, or like Big Bob Bigelow bought it for two hundred thousand. Okay, that's a hell of a profit, for sure, and that's suspect to me, because it's like okay, you find out that there's this ranch, there's like paranormal activity on it. You can, I mean, you can research and all that, and then you get like buzz going on. And then you sell it. Who who was who did you sell it to? Did it say? Okay, so in the documentary, they were very careful to hide the identity of the new owner. Uh-huh. They even changed his voice and made sure not to show his his face. But in 2020, he came out. He revealed who he was. His name is Brandon Fugel. Okay. And he is a um, millionaire real estate mogul. 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 Um, words, words are hard. Words are very hard. Um, <laughs> but he's a real estate... Mogul. 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 He's Mug- a muggle. He's a muggle. Okay. All right. Um, an investor. And he, um, of course, you know, it was once owned by hotel financier and billionaire Robert Bigelow. So it just kind of traded hands with two wealthy entrepreneurs. Right. Two wealthy white guys. Yes. <laughs> very much so. And Brandon Fugel... Well, hold on. Did he give it... Any of that to the Gormans? I doubt it. I don't know. That's I couldn't up. find any evidence of that. See, that's that's fucked up then. So, question: like, there's I know there's also a Skinwalker show that. That's yeah, so that's real. what I was gonna get to. So Brandon <laughs> Fugel ended up coming out in 2020 as the owner of Skinwalker Ranch, mm-hmm. and they there's a show on History Channel. Um, and it's not the good. secret. I like it. I, I know good. you don't like it, but it's, I like it. It's scripted. It. It's like Ghost Bros, but Skinwalker Ranch. Well, you feel that way. So it's called The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch. It's, it's on History. I, I watch it on Hulu. There's like three seasons now of it. Um, and you have, there's a new team of scientists um, and investigators who are using scientific methods to research the phenomena. I feel like that term the is phenomena. used loosely. Okay. Well, anyway. <laughs> um, I, I love you very much however i remember watching that show with you and being like this is like ghost bros but for skinwalker ranch okay and these quote-unquote scientists i want to see their credentials because i don't believe a damn thing they're saying because it's it's very much it's a history channel show which 
Might as well be Travel Channel. It might as well be Travel Channel at this point. I mean... I think it's probably owned by the same. It's, yeah. Uh, but I hear you. I hear what you're saying. I still enjoy watching it. Um, That's fine. You can, I'm not going to tell you not and, to enjoy it and you like, enjoy it. And it's not like over the top. I mean, it's I, over the top, Stephanie. I don't, I don't it's know. It's very over the top. They, there was one point I remember They'll where they were see like lights in the, in the sky and, and they try they shoot off like um, rockets and stuff to try and and the rockets have some type of like equipment inside that is able to monitor the like the magnetic fields and stuff. I don't know. Say that I, again slowly. Shush. And tell me that you think I, that's real. I I find <laughs> it interesting. So if you if you want to learn more about it, you could watch the documentary, which I, think I highly the documentary recommend, would and then the Secret of Skinwalker Ranch. If you want to see what's currently happening with under Brandon Fugel's ownership, you could watch that. I think I was a little put off when I went to their website and they had like they were trying to sell stuff. See, that's what I'm saying. And I was it's, like, it's, it's "Why are we trying now. to sell things?" It's a business because paranormal stuff is a business. Now. I know that's what it is, and so you can a place may have activity. But once it is popular, it is turning into a business. And that's what I this hear you. is. I know. Soapbox moment. And so that's what I feel like that Skinwalker Ranch has become. Mm-hmm. And fuck, man, they fucked over the Gormans. That's the whole thing. Well, I know, because they lost money family, probably selling that family, ranch. And then here, they, they Bigelow makes right. bank. They should be set up for life. Those people, those are the people that should be set up for life. If they... If that if they legit had experiences, yeah, and they were trying to get out, and they sold it to just get out because I mean it sounds like they lost on the deal. They lost their like twenty percent of their cattle herd, right? And then Bigelow sells it for now. that. They should have been given a sum of money to set them up and their children for life because yeah. that would be the right thing, the right thing to do. <laughs> So yeah, well. that's that's what I'm saying. Like completely removed from whatever paranormal activity is actually occurring there. I hear you. So I, hear I, you. I, I so kind of going back to the pen that I put in, and I'm yeah. gonna go ahead and say at this point of the podcast, <laughs> I'm going to be saying spoilers for Nope. So if you have not watched Nope yet. You can turn off the podcast now. We still love you all. <laughs> um, but at this point, I want to say spoilers for Nope. Okay. So this feels a little like Nope in a way. Yeah. Well, he was probably influenced. And, well, he might be. And and so, like, you know, in so the story of Nope is... Explain you know, what that what Nope is in case... Okay. So, so Jordan Peele's new film is called yep. Nope. And it's an anagram for not of planet earth it's about aliens so yeah it's about a african-american family and they have their ancestor was the first first african the first jockey first person on film on a horse on like you know that was filmed Mm -hmm. and so what they do is they run a business where they um it's like they use horses in film Mm -hmm. and so they and so they're animal handlers and so they have a ranch uh the dad ends up passing away and then that and there's like things that kind of happen that are supernatural and alien in nature yeah and so there's very much a kind of a through line of taming a wild beast to be a spectacle thinking you can tame thinking you could tame a wild beast to be a spectacle and i mm-hmm. feel like there's a like a very small connection between skinwalker mm-hmm. and this thinking you can tame thinking this you can tame this whatever this entity, entity is paranormal to be a business UFO. yeah if it's real if it's real because i'm i'm skeptical on this okay and if it's real, you're trying to tame an entity that is... You're trying to at least capture... Right. ...on camera... Right. What's... For a profit. Yeah. And that doesn't ever work out. I mean, see Jurassic Park. I mean, that's also <laughs> the same thing. Um, now, I'm... Reasons why I'm extremely skeptical on this whole Skinwalker Ranch. I feel like there's way... It's like inundated with stuff. 
there's like portals and hell mouths and UFOs and cow mutilations and see to that to me that makes it more genuine like I I mean it's one thing to just make up UFOs and then to like actually add in all this other crazy shit like the paranormal gambit of I think it's 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 casting a wide net I think it's way too much stuff but I think it's all this... connected, and I listen to a lot of podcasts that talk about how paranormal activity, whether it's UFO, right. ghosts, whatever it may be, is all connected. Right. And um. Well, you know I'm skeptical on some of this stuff. I know so, you are. Because I, I, I feel like. But if it's all connected, and there's this like trickster element, and it's gonna the trickster, what if it's Loki? Let's say. Well, if it's Loki, I need uh, to like get an autograph. He's gonna, (laughs) but he's gonna like, you know, whatever it is, it's going to like do different things to catch your attention. I, I guess my my thing is is that they say they have they they had all this equipment for data, but then there's not a lot of data. Well, okay. Oh, I forgot to talk about that. I'm so sorry. Real quick. Um, so they would actually capture. They would set up their their cameras. Mm-hmm. So they would have cameras that were kind of surveilling surveying the a- area, and things would happen just off to the like right or to the left of the camera. So at one point, they actually try to turn the cameras towards each other. So that if w- something happens in this mm-hmm. area, this camera over here will catch it. Do they catch anything? No, because at one point, let me see if I can find it here in the book. Um, the the cameras are messed with. There's like something that starts to mess that, with the do cameras. Do not find that at all convenient. I mean, yes, and I still think that if it doesn't want to be seen, right. So that's what I'm saying. Like this this situation is either this trickster element that doesn't want to be seen, or mm-hmm. These people, it chooses when it wants to reveal or, itself. Or these people are blowing smoke out of your ass and saying, oh, these cameras were pointed to each other and they couldn't catch anything because they, the trickster element. I just, if you're like a legit scientist and you're, you know, trying to do that stuff, then you should have, I don't know. I mean, you, if you don't catch something, you could say, look, like this is, we didn't catch anything. It could have been... Yeah, but I've heard this time and time again from paranormal investigators and people who do this line of work um, that things will happen just off camera. So they will have set up a camera and they're trying to get a shot of something going on and something will happen just behind the camera or just off to the right of it. So you can't see it. But like something will fall and make a crash sound or whatever. You'll hear it. You'll capture the audio. But you won't necessarily capture the image or capture what the, the phenomena that's happening. Um, so I, I want to point this out is that I'm skeptical. I hear but, you. Uh, but, I'm, but I am X-Files. I am Fox Mulder. I want to believe. Like, <laughs> I want to believe. Like, I, I am totally in that. Like, I want to see this shit. But until it happens I, to you, you don't, you're not going to believe it? Well, not just, not just that, but... It, I want to see some. I want to see some actual shit. Like I want to see some proof. Like I want to see an actual photo or something that's not doctored or something like not that's not off camera. I I hear you. And so I think it's it's for and and being. Have you ever had an experience you can't explain? And I've told you like you were there when the doll situation happened, which it was a previous podcast. Yeah, was it episode two, two three? We talked about yeah. the dolls. Yeah. Uh, or well, possessed dolls, and then I explained my our experience. I, but did you, but like I told you about what I what, what I heard, and I didn't hear it. You you were awake because I awoke you up with a hammer. Of my but face. you didn't actually yes. hear and feel what I felt. No, I and so like that's the thing. But I, have you ever in your life experienced anything that you cannot explain? Have you ever seen anything you can't explain? Have you ever heard anything you can't explain? What about when we went? What about when we went to Waverly? That's another episode we did. That's and that's the, the only one. Timmy's that, ball. That is the only one I can't explain. Timmy's ball is the only thing I can't explain. Um, I've I've heard stories from like you and other friends. I have been like coworkers, like from the science center when I worked in the science center. You know, that place is haunted allegedly. 
Yeah, and you and had so, some weird stuff happen there, didn't you? Or you just heard other people? I just people. heard other people. You didn't actually. There was one it time yourself. where like the freight elevator moved by itself, but that could like be explained away by somebody pressing a button. But and... it's not. But it can't because you told me that you had to actually put the key in and turn right. it in order to, for the right. freight elevator to work. Right. So I don't know. Like, there's been like there's been like, I've had a couple of situations, but I, I feel like I try to explain it away mm-hmm. because like I I don't. What would it mean for you to believe? What would it mean? Like you, you can, you try to explain it away, but what would it mean for you to not explain it away? For you to just take it at face value? Yeah, that this is, this, this happened. Does this really happen? What would that mean for you? How would it change your worldview or your perception? It, I feel like that would change a lot. I mean, if I saw a fucking alien, I would probably piss my pants. I'm not talking about aliens, though. I'm just talking about things moving. Right. Or, or, um, I think that's the thing is like you know if I saw something move on its own or something then I'd be like oh shit like that's that's it for me like I in hearing footsteps when there's no one there right but what would that mean for you what do you mean what would that mean for me like um I mean that would be that would be proof how would that change your life but well okay so here's my thing like I'm I'm open to believing Mm -hmm. I've I've witnessed I've heard things that I can't explain right does it mean that I understand it? No. Right. But I believe it happened. I witnessed it. Right. And therefore, I believe it. But it doesn't help me explain what it was. I might have ideas about what it was. Mm-hmm. But I don't actually know. I don't actually know if that fucking doll was, like, right. <laughs> stomping up the, down the stairs. I have no fucking clue. Or whatever the entity was that was possessing the doll... I have no idea. I don't know what it was. All I know is this event happened. I heard this. And I'm not not discounting that. What I'm saying is that I... It's like a both-and situation. Like, I want to believe that this stuff occurs. Then just believe it. But I feel like that's sometimes... (laughs) That's hard. Just believe it! Just believe it! (laughs) But that's hard sometimes because in my theoretical like science brain you know and in, in how i'm wired in regard to looking at data and stuff like that i'm like okay well how can we look at the situation and can it be something else before we get to ghost or alien or something? like yeah. you, but... i want to i want to do what's called you know weeding out what it is before like anything else you know but when science right. can't explain it well then, they, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but the, and, and, I think and you that, have a group of scientists. What for? The, the that's science, what I'm saying. So ba- Bigelow made a profit. He Bigelow did. made a profit. He made a huge what profit. What about the scientists, though? That's what I want to know. I want to know a. What was the? What would be the goal other than I guess this book that's like now? But I want to know what the scientists like actual. Like what their credentials were. I want to know that. You said physicists and veterinarians stuff like that, but I want to know like were they legit? And then also, like, did they write any type of scholarly, like, peer review articles related to this? Um, because I mean, if that's if that's the case, if they wrote read like if they wrote like a peer review article, then I want to read that. Not a book, a peer reviewed, like a actual in documented you know, ed- education, science journal. This is what I had at Skinwalker Ranch. Well, I know, I will tell you this, that Bob Bigelow did not want this book being written. Why? Because he would, didn't get money from it? No. Um, so he funded, he's the one who started NIDS, right? The National Institute of Discovery yes. Science. And later he also had um, Bigelow Airspace. What did I say? It was... Bigelow Airspace. It's called Bass. Bass? Yeah, it's called Bass. It's called Bass? Bigelow Airspace Can we also Science. say that Bigelow... His name is Bigelow? Yeah. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. But he he didn't want it to be... He did not want this book to be written because... So the so he had gotten funds, you know, from ATIP. Or, well, the... Okay, remember I told you that there was that, that article that came out in December of 2017... That the government had funded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So part of that funding went into this NIDS research. Okay. In Bigelow Airspace. And so I think there was a level of like confidentiality. Like he didn't want 
certain things to be revealed. But I think when they finally came to him and said, look, this is, this is what we want to say. And I think he had to like clear it. Like he had to say, okay, that's fine. You can, you can reveal this information. I wonder, and other people have speculated in other podcasts I've listened to, if we're only getting part of the truth mm. with this book. Just enough to give us a taste. And they keep saying how they weren't able to document certain things. They weren't able to get certain things on camera. People have speculated. Do they have more than they're revealing? And that might be it. That might that might be it. They might have more information than they're re- revealing. Right. So it's like this weird situation where, again, you know, we have, quote, unquote, like you said, just enough, just a taste. Mm-hmm. And it's, but it. It's kind of a watered... It's Everything is watered down. Mm-hmm. It's like in Stranger Things 3 where he's like, you water <gasps> it down. Yes. You yes, water it down. Yes. You know, and... The vodka. Yeah. Oh, who drinks straight vodka anyway? Right. It's disgusting. Right. You water it like where Nancy and John had to water down the information about what's yeah. happening in the lab in order to make it palatable for Hawkins right. and and the newspaper. It, yeah, yeah. And so I, I think that's exactly what could be happening. But here's the thing. Going? The whole spectrum of my ideas of what is happening at Skinwalker Ranch is either it's legit and it is watered down mm-hmm. or they're completely full of shit and they've made up all this stuff for a profit. Like I just it, don't it could be see that. It, it could be any, it could be anything within that spectrum. Do you understand? I hear you. I so, hear you and I understand it. But I don't agree with I don't <laughs> well I just don't think we can discard what the Gormans went through. I don't want and to then dis- the I don't, team, I don't want to like say what you will about what's going on with Brandon under yes. Brandon Pugel's leadership and how right. this is now a TV show yes. and they're making a profit on it or whatever. Huge profit on whatever the channel. situation is. I can't speak to that. I'm talking more But I, I think what the Gormans experienced and the fact that they did not make much of a profit trying to get right. rid of this ranch because right. they were you know financially having they were struggling and um i i just don't see for what purpose it would be for them to make up that the whole this all came about when they came public with their story right and, and then I, that's when bob bigelow saw their story and decided to buy the ranch and he you right. know i'm not so, i'm not saying anything about the gorman family because i feel like even if and again, their last name is really the Shermans. Right, but... the Shermans, Gormans, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I I don't I I don't I'm not saying anything com- like bad about them. I, I I'm saying more about when this was made into a a, a for profit venture. Mm-hmm. Like that's what this thing kind of smells a little fishy. Yeah. So. Yeah, but I mean, okay. I so here's what I think: you could still have phenomena going on. Mm-hmm. You could still have things going on. And you can make a profit on it. So I think of like um, the Lizzie Borden house. A crime really happened there. People really died. People have claimed to hear like the ghosts of Lizzie's dad and, you know, stepmother Mm -hmm. after they were killed. Um, But it's still a bed and breakfast. Like you can still go and stay there. Um, I want to stay there. I think it would be really cool. Um, We're not taking our child there. I'm not just telling you. No, but um, I still think, yeah, I, in, in Waverly, hello, right, Waverly. I know, that's, that's, I know, I know. Waverly is a perfect example of this horrible stuff that happened, and they're still making a profit and allowing ghost tours, people to come and do paranormal right. investigations. So, right. listeners, let us know what you think. What do you think is happening at Skinwalker Ranch? Do you believe that there are portals to other worlds? Do you believe that the NIDS team was able to capture information, capture data that they haven't yet released to the public? Do you think that this is all just bullshit? <laughs> <laughs> as, as Andrew has alluded to. I might think it's bullshit. <laughs> uh, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contactspiritedspirits at gmail.com. Um, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Spirited Spirits. And on Instagram, as we told you earlier, we posted a picture of our wine, the Nina Mesa 
Cabernet Sauvignon. That's on at spirited underscore spirits underscore podcast on Instagram. Yeah, and thank you so much for joining us tonight. Again, sorry for the delay on this part, too. Yes. Uh, we hope you continue to listen to us when we actually do post. <laughs> we hope to be more consistent <laughs> and, in our um, podcasts. As we talk about spirits while we sip on some spirits. Have a good night. Bye. Bye.